like to get away, take a holiday from the neighborhood. Hop a flight to Miami Beach or to Hollywood. When I'm taking a greyhound on that Hudson River line, I'm in a New York state of mind. Stars and the fancy cars and the limousines. Been high in the Rockies under the evergreen. But I know what I'm needing and I don't want to waste more time. I'm in a new
Outside Looking In, Going Out of My Head, 
Crystal Bad, Take Me Back, uh, little, Go Away Little Girl for Steve Lawrence, Sinatra's Tune. He's, he's one of the great prolific writers of our time. Well, I knew him when he wasn't. We were both kids. Well, he was, he's five years older than me. But to me, he was a grown man. I like 15, he like 21, six years. Yeah, he was six years older than me. He would have been 87 years. Wow. he lived. And he, I, all these little, when you ask me that question, it, 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 I, if there was one way to answer it, it'd be easy. It isn't. Because there's so many people who are responsible for anybody. There's nobody becomes who they are by themselves. They just don't. So right. he's part of that clique, that movie, to the DuPonts, to this, to that, to the to the bottom. And there you go. And then, that, that's why, that's why I wrote the anthology album, I didn't write it, but put it together with Mike Miller. Uh-huh. Uh, because he heard me talking like this, and I was randomly, he said, you know, what if you narrated it and told those stories about how songs came about? So we did. That's beautiful. Yeah, and then I found out. Stories. Yeah. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I'm 81. I've been in business a long time. And I was, I went to do a PBS special in, in LA. I just got back early this morning. I took a red eye out last night. And I was there with some wonderful people, uh, 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 uh what's the name of the child? Sometimes I, uh, Beavers is her last name. But anyway, Howard Hewitt was there, great singer from Shalimar. Uh-huh. Uh, Darlene. Yeah. Darlene, oh, I love uh, Darlene. I love Darlene. Yep. And then, um, um, who else? A bunch of people. <laughs> and it was a PBS thing we did to celebrate Duke Ellington. Wow. So we were singing jazz because most of us have a, we cut our teeth on that. Like I was telling you about my dad. So all of us that they chose were people that they knew could, they could go in that element very comfortably. Uh-huh. Even though we're R&B, rock and roll, people don't realize you, you do a lot of things. And so that's what it was. And, we, and then we all, you know, we did the stage. So I, it's going to be shown on PBS. I'm not really sure when, but it was big production. We had 18-piece orchestra. Wow. Uh, and it was part of Castle Survive, the Basie Band, Stan Kenton's Band, um, and some, I mean, it's amazing. The, the drummer, I forget his first name, is called Jones. He was the guy on the greatest record ever made. It was done by Tom Basie called uh, uh, April in Paris. It was really kind of very young, but this was one of the great tunes of its time for Big Bang. And and he would say one more time. And then Sinatra did it with him and it became even bigger. And so I met that drummer. Now you know for me it's like a kid in a candy store. Yes. <laughs> what? You know he had to be like I'm eighty one, so he had to be like ninety four. And he was playing them drum like he was twenty four. <laughs> I'm saying, whoa. Well, anyway, to make a long story longer, I was talking about this album. We, we using all the platforms today because the music business entirely changed. And we used all the, the social media platforms and get, get, get it heard. And one thing led to another and another gentleman 
who was a his name was Black and Subentry, he was associated with the Grammy people and he said, Well man, I heard that too and he did New York State of Mind, Billy Joel too. Oh my goodness. They need to hear this. Well, I mean, nobody's thinking about nothing. We didn't even tell us anything. He took it and, and because he's in the committee, they, he let them hear the album because they were, you know, getting ready to make their move on the people that they are going to present stuff to or whatever. And the album, they said, well, it's not new music because we really can't do that. We can't put it in any particular category because it's not new music. But there's one song on there that's just blowing everybody's mind. That song is New York State of Mind. Well, you, they, yes, the day after I got there for the PBS special, I got a call. I just been nominated for uh, a Grammy. Wow. Congratulations. Can you imagine that? You think you didn't get it all, or you think you've come to the point in your career, okay, we, I did all that. I did stuff. You know, and I'm very proud of my work. Yeah, oh my goodness, I was stunned. What? You kidding me? It just isn't done. It just isn't done. And then when, you know, I just like, like to do the interview and be interviewed. People get an idea of who you really are, what, what you really, what you're doing. Because I think, it, I think it, it could inspire young up-and-coming artists and for that matter, anybody. Yes. That, that. I'm just a crappy head kid out of Brooklyn. But I never, I came out of a family so rich in their tradition and what they believed who they were. I never felt like I was a victim of anything. So I always had that attitude. And now I see the fruits of that now. And I'm going, oh, my Lord. I'm so humbled by that. Because it just doesn't happen. It just happened to me. Yes. And you're still and you're still kicking, and you get a Grammy award. I mean, like it's amazing. It is. I mean, I I was inducted into the Rock Hall of Fame, and that was super wonderful. But I didn't do this with some major company behind me. You know what this shows me? The power of social media. When things go viral, yeah, I can pay for you. Couldn't even. You, I wouldn't have had the budget to pay for that, which we call social media, really free advertisement. Yes, indeed. And the people spoke because I just got a call from the distributor guy says, we can't even cover the orders for that song. So here's a guy that takes the song, and the people there knew there was something about it. I was singing a Billy Joel tune that he wrote, and I know Billy very well for years. And I... I sang it because I'm a New Yorker. I understood those lyrics, and I am a believer. I'm a young lyric. You actually, I remember you asking me in an interview about how you, how do you perceive that or, or your lyric or whatever. I am from the old school. We when we were taught to interpret what the writer was trying to say, as opposed to day in music. It's just bells, whistles, and gongs. Basically, I mean it's how fantastic your production is, rather than the artist being the lead, uh, uh, the, the lead cat and 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 interpreting that song. It's different today. That doesn't make it bad or good. It's just different today. For me, 
to to have young people who are basically in the in the academy to say this older dude what you know I didn't do it because I thought that that would happen I did what God has given me the gift and I told you earlier it's not natural it's supernatural right it's true yes I, my purpose in life I'm one of these people I have to know what my purpose in life is. My days on this earth is, is numbered. I mean, I'm in the twilight of my years. Now, i got to be honest with you, dear. I'm having the greatest time of my life now. One day at a time. Well, so, so instead of 81, uh, you're, you're, you're kind of reliving the, the I, I, I always invert numbers. I, I tease my grand people. 18. <laughs> yeah, you know. You're young. <laughs> somebody asked me, I told them, I said, listen. I'm 81 years old, but this is there's a 31 year old guy living in me. So please don't tell him he's 81; it would upset him. We really get mad. Yeah, he knew he was And wow. um, you appeared in movies, didn't you, in the 50s? Where in the dawn? No, I never no. did. No, no, I didn't. Did? I just a lot of people didn't. No, I never. But though I tell you, some people don't know. But I'm an actor. I have been in movies. I was a character actor. I've done, I've done the Jeffersons on TV. I have done uh, Kings and Confidential with Raymond Burr. I have done so much. I was in a movie with with Henry Fonda, Mr. Fonda, uh, Billy D. Williams called Contact 203 that was put on the shelf because in those days a lot of political crap going on in in, in Hollywood, and they didn't want to release it. And the Paramount, but then that was Chad Everett, and was in that. It was just, oh, it was about the, uh, it was about Tuskegee Airmen. It was the first one made. It was about the Tuskegee Airmen, the first black um, uh, squadrons that they put together in World War Two. That they said, well, black can fly a plane. Yes, sure. That they they went out there and flew them played like they was the Harlem Globetrotters. That's them German pilots are dead if they can speak to you how good they were. They had the most shot down, the most kills in all the history of air air guys. Right. So they really were the first top top gun, you know. History one of the things that I try to do, I personally there's enough I've always been in this attitude. It's easy to find the worst in people. But it does take a lot of work to find the best in life, period. So I'd rather talk about what is being accomplished by young, especially young black folk. I'm always focused on that. I'm never focused on the victim part of it because I don't have that in me to do it. I That's who I am. And the last time I looked in the mirror, I was black. I'm changed. <laughs> so, so I just get turned on. By young people. I, I'm turned on by Snoop Dogg, what he did, how he learned how to be a businessman and how to parlay what he's doing. We didn't have that when we were young. I didn't get paid like they get paid today. But I'm not bitter about that. In fact, I like to talk about it. I, I like to show and teach. And if you want to listen to me, after 65 years on this earth, I think I got some things I can say that might be beneficial to you. For sure. Because I was once told, if you want to get through a mindful field, which I call life, a mindful of life, the reason how you do it is watch somebody who got across it, and then you walk in their footsteps. That's how you get there. Yes. 
Am I what was the first? Oh, I'm sorry. No. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. I, I just, you, you're, you're saying a lot of wisdoms. What was the first um, exposure in media that you had as an artist? Well, well, my, well, my first really, that's an interesting question. Uh, when was that? Oh, uh, when was it? The first TV show that I ever was exposed to, oh, man, I think it was a, I don't, you know, actually, Gerald, I'm not, I don't remember, because I did so much of it. I know that I was naturally, okay, there was a show called, oh, gosh, I was thinking years ago, it used to be in, on, in, on national, uh, national radio and TV those days, on one of the networks, I don't know if it was ABC, CBS, or one of them. Call, call your hit parade, and 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 it was a guy called Snooky Lanson or something. Well, they when we had kids in my pillow out, everything was happening because it broke. You know, everybody wanted to get you once you're on the show, whatever. Even the clock came a little bit later, but they said we want to to be the they the, the hit parade would sing hit records of all the artists. They were just singing. But Mr. Goldman said, these guys, this young man is different. I'd like to have him on this show. Well, this this show was all white. I mean, it was segregation. It was, they, they just, just, it was national. You just didn't do that then. But for somehow, Mr. Golden pulled it off. We were the first black group to play uh, television nationally. That means in the South and every other way. It, it was with Jim Crow and everybody else. There was. There we were. We were the first. I can talk about this all day, like all the first things that we did. We didn't think anything about that as kids. We're kids out of Brooklyn. What do we know? But we were the first to have a national exposure. So that's, hopefully that answers your question. Then came Dick Clark. Um, that became good friends with him over the years. And then, um, and then others. And then we were the first. I don't think we're the first black group. I think the Kinnears were and quite a few other people, the Mills Brothers were on Ed Sullivan, but we were the first rock and roll R&B act singers on Ed Sullivan. Not once, but three times. From there came Motown and you saw the Temptations and all that. We were first. You can Google that and see that actual show is black and white. That's how far back it goes. Oh, okay. I wasn't even excited. Well, in the in the past, it used to be the television and radio, radio disc jockeys who would bring yeah, the hit. The powerhouses, they were the guys. Yeah. So, so who were some of the people they, they remember? Oh, many radio. of them: Daco, Doctor Jive, Butterball. Oh my wow. goodness. Uh. Oh shoot. What about the Gita? What about the Gita? Yeah, the Gita came. I knew Jerry Blavitt. That's I was on the phone with him last week. We've been friends all the years. You know where I met him? You know where I met Jerry? He wasn't the Gita yet. He used to work for Sammy Davis. Oh, wow. And Sammy Davis married a young lady who was known as Alta Dees. Okay. Alta Dees, her real name is Joni Gore. She's from Brooklyn, from Fort Bend. We went to school together. Her mother and my mother were best friends. Wow. That's how I met Sammy Davis. 
that's where Jerry used to work. Jerry was in the public PR, whatever he was doing. And then he eventually became in the radio and he became the Gita. Yeah. Anthony was really big. Yeah. yeah, you talk to Anthony, he'd say, he'll tell you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Philadelphia, New York. I mean, you had Jacko Henderson and... and Jacko um, Henderson. And mm-hmm. he started in New York. Then he went to Philly, to WD... WD um, Oh, man, my mind, I got, my mind's got to catch up to my mouth. I'm sorry. W-W-D-A-S? Georgie Woods. W-D-A-S? W-D-A-S? Yeah. W-D-A-S. Philly. Georgie Woods. Um, you remember Yeah. All the cats I knew. And this is like 1958. How did you get back then? Highland came later. I mean, he was he was just beginning. He was riding their coattails. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But Alan Free, in fact, Alan Free was the one that called the phrase Little Anthony. My name is Jerome Anthony Gordine. God did the, the, the record company didn't come up with that. It was him because legend says that the record promoter went into WINS Women's Radio in New York City where he was presiding, and he was called the father of rock and roll because he phrased it, the, made that phrase because it, it, it meant something suggestive, but he made a phrase out of it. Um, he, uh, they brought the record to him and he sat there and in those days, this like he's, for the, for the king, they decided what they're going to play and what they weren't going to play, so you didn't want them to be your enemy. And they, he put it on and he said, boom, my goodness, that girl sure can sing. And then the promoter said, uh, that's not a girl. Uh, that's a guy. <laughs> he said, a, a, a guy? That kind of high voice? Wow, he must be awfully little. Uh-huh. See? Then he got on radio. He was a giant. And he found out my first name, my second name, Anthony, and he just decided to call me Little Anthony. The original recordings were just the Imperials. They cut me out of the herd. Just like they cut Donna Ross out the herd. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, Smokey Robinson and Tagliolana and on and on and on and on. Awesome. Yeah, the social media were the yeah. uh, disc jockeys who pushed the records. That's how no, it they, they were the guys. And then Payola, the problem with Payola, which they still do, that's another story. It's just done differently. But Right. There was a national consensus at that time to get rid of rock and roll because it was bringing the, the races together, the music, pulling black folk and white folk together. And there were people who had, their agenda was to keep them divided. There's a lot of that going on today. So it's just to keep them divided because that's how you, you stay in power. That was the way it was in the, in the record business. So they picked up, they, they didn't like him because he was really integrating. They, they start getting, people start integrating without thinking about it by listening to music. They love the music. They go see the show. And they didn't think that they're so happy and enjoying the music. They'd be grabbing somebody black, one dance, one dance. And that's what was happening. And the powers of be at that time didn't want that to happen in this country. So a little thing like what says is normal is breathing. We do it every day. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back back then. And somebody said, listen, I need this record playing, man. 
I'll give you a hundred dollars. Just, just give me, give me a little, a, a few days of this kind of play. That's what it was. It was that simple. And then they they caught that. And they said, "That's a good stuff." Whatever the law was at that. And so they created that thing called payola. It destroyed him. They said what they wanted to do, and it knocked down a lot of disc jockeys. But what it did was, it took the power out of the disc jockeys' hands. So they developed people called program directors, which you see today. Everything has to go called top 40 and all that kind of stuff. That was developed afterwards to replace the disc jockey's power. They didn't want to put too much power in one person's hand. Don Don Cornelius was one of the great jockeys in Chicago. He had enough sense to realize he went on and developed his show for television. Mm -hmm. We all know how great that was. Oh, yes, indeed. And it's a legacy. I had him when I was 18 years old. So I'm, I'm in the Chicago. We'd we go, and we all laugh and talk. And yeah. And that's young I said, what? This dude got a seat. What's it called? Soul, what? Soul train? <laughs> it's the longest running dance show in the history, longer than Dick Clark. Right. And Don was one of those powerful disc jockeys in Chicago that I guess he figured, let me get out of here because there'll be a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of heat. And he mm -hmm. just came up with a concept and then whatever rest of history, developed it and that was it. But Don Kennedy is one of the greatest uh, radio voices ever was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you remember about Mitch Thomas? Not, not a lot. I know of him, but I'm not intimately or even causally or have an acquaintance, but I know of him, yeah. But I, I, I really can say that I don't have a, I'm sorry about a lot of people, but that, that's one of the people that I never really had. He a, preceded, he preceded Don Cornelius in having a show. He did? Yeah, in the late 50s. In fact, one of my uh, my first um, musical guests, the guy musical guest on this show, uh, said that he uh, always watched the Mitch Thomas show, and that was the late Lynn Barry. And oh, he yeah. Swore, and he swore, oh, he no. said, the, the people, the white kids would, would watch the Mitch Thomas show and try to emulate the dancers on dance dance. Yes. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He Great. loved the Mitchell. He way. would talk about that. Yeah. He would talk about it. Yeah, they copied the scroll and everything off of off of Miss Thomas's show. Yeah, and it was we were the first black group that ever did a famous jockey in Baltimore, Maryland. What was his uh gosh, I can't remember that man's name. He was a staunch segregationist. But you know, we had gotten so big that we crossed, they call it crossed over. We not only was popular but our my own people, but we blew up with the white folk. Mm -hmm. So now what do they do? How do they want us to they want to see who's these people that sing like that or this guy? We want to see them. We're the first to integrate that show. Buddy something, buddy this came to my mind that quick. Buddy something, buddy something show. Dan show was huge. Yeah, I read about that. Yeah, I read about how he was, you know, great segregationist and didn't want to bring the yeah. races together. And you could not appear on a show. Uh -huh. No, I'd be the first. And you know that that play and movie, Hairspray? That was, that, that, that was taken from that. 
If, if your audience want to know, everybody listening, that's where that came from. I know because I was there. <laughs> Me. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I was there. So we were the first to be on that show. Believe me, we didn't know all that, you know. But in retrospect, hindsight being 2020 and looking back, and I began to say, oh, my gosh, we were creating history, and we didn't even know we were part of it. And now when you look back at that, you know, the times that you started to have the hit hurt so bad and, and other things, how um, – how do they treat a group like yours that all of a sudden explodes with hit after hit after hit for a good seven, eight years or more? We didn't more than that because in 1958, when Mr. Luke Dolly, who was the public relations man, Gordon and Records, decided that they didn't like the name that we originally had that we created, like the DuPonts, but this was the, we would call the Chester's now. We, this is a different group. The one that caused me to start my whole career with them, with Clowns, those guys. But it was called the Chester, they didn't like it, called Imperials. So you just looked out the window and you saw a car, and it was an Imperial Chrysler. And you said, let's call them Imperials. So from that point on, we started developing. So we would, I was, you know, the funniest thing. I was in the middle of all that in segregation. I was there. I was humiliated. Not now. I experienced it physically or mostly psychologically. I'm a kid out in New York, but there's always some sort of thing everywhere. But when I went down south, because my mother, my mother told me, and she comes from Savannah, Georgia. She said, "Boy, when you go down there, this is what you got to do. This is how you go." And I'm going, "Well, what?" No. It's different than New York City. Well, I don't know. I don't, all I've ever experienced was New York City. I go, went where I wanted to go when I wanted to go, most places. And I had to deal with all that. So coming to, I'm a little tough little kid out of the street. From, from, from the gang situation, you don't, I mean, you react, you just react. Oh, you going to do that and say that to me? You know, you going to disrespect me? Then I'm going to go back. You can't do that down there at that time. Right. That was the first time I went to, when we were on the tour, and there was greatest people in the world was on that tour, Bo Diddley, LaVarian Baker. Uh, oh, my goodness. I played with them all, Ruth Brown, all of them. And we were traveling everywhere, and we ended up in the South. And they tried to tell me, now, wait a minute, young man. you got to understand this. How you got to read just, adapt to just where you're going. We don't get us in trouble. And I remember we went, we went, was in Washington, D.C., which, it was, you know, acceptable. It was okay. And then we ended up in Virginia, in Richmond, Virginia, which is right down the street from Washington, D.C. And we ended up that night, and I, and I noticed, I'm thinking we're going to go to a hotel, a regular hotel. Like, I always went over my mother, always took me to a regular hotel in New York. But we were, we were in this little place, dumpy little place somewhere, and we said, well, what, I'm looking, I'm going how come we ain't going there? That, they're going, Sheridan going past us right now. <laughs> and they had a little white, little light, and you had to put a quarter in to hear the radio. What? <laughs> yeah. And I, the first thing I walked out, I ain't got, I went to the park. I, I, I don't know what I did. It was a couple of, and I went to get some water, and, and, the, and the people said, you can't drink that, boy. 
I said, why? It's water. That <laughs> was <laughs> <laughs> that second time I heard that word, nigga. And it, it like, it vibrated. I, well, what's going on here? I had to see. I got a history le- lesson the hard way. But I thank God for the people that raised me, my aunts and all, and they fortified me with something that got me through that. You've been listening to Building Abundant Success with Sabrina Marie. Copyright September 20th, 2022.